Welcome to Behavioral Grooves, the podcast that explores our human condition. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We talk with researchers and other interesting people to unlock the mysteries of our behavior by using a behavioral science lens. And we do it with gravitas. Oh, I'm sorry, Tim. What, what did you say? I, I said that we unlock the mysteries of our behavior by using behavioral science lens, and we do it with gravitas. Okay, that's what I thought, but what is this do it with gravitas that uh, I've never heard you say that before? Well, you know, we've never interviewed Lisa Sun before either, and she taught us that we need to have more gravitas. <laughs> but, but Lisa said gravitas isn't just about being loud and boastful and putting on airs or having bravado, oh, Tim. Oh, okay. It's 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 about self-confidence and finding your strength and personal growth. It's about finding your own superpowers and leveraging those to make a difference in the world. Yeah, okay, true. And and she should know since she wrote the book on it. Gravitas, the eight strengths that redefine confidence. She's also the founder of a fashion company by the same name that promotes body positivity and self-confidence. And before founding her fashion company way back in 2013, she had worked as a McKinsey consultant, working with some of the biggest and most successful companies in the world. And that is where she was told in her first professional review that, quote, Lisa comes across as young and overly enthusiastic at times. She should seek to have more gravitas. <laughs> I, which, I don't think they said it that way, Tim. Oh, they probably didn't, but no. <laughs> uh, but, but it stuck, right? Yeah, it obviously stuck with her, and, and, and we're glad it did since it inspired her remarkable career and subsequent book. And in our conversation with her today, we talked about self-confidence and how we can build it up. We explored identifying and leveraging your own superpowers and about the need for self-awareness and how gender influences all of this. Yeah, it was a powerful conversation, and we think that you'll enjoy it, and we hope that you learn from it, too. Yeah, so with that, sit back with a big pour of gravitas <laughs> and enjoy our conversation with Lisa Sun. Lisa Sun, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this one. We are very grateful to have you here and excited for this. And we need to know, first and foremost, coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh, that was not, there was no nice. hesitation. I like that. I love that. With, and actually, with an I will tell you, uh, the Starbucks team have at the roastery a Gravitas blend of coffee. Oh, oh my. So you can go to a Starbucks Roastery, reserve roastery, and order Gravitas Blend coffee. I was there at their headquarters, and they were so excited to show it to me. <laughs> awesome! I, how many how many books had their own coffee blend? Oh, see, just I think about that's one. Your, that's your marketing <laughs> angle, right there. You know, you want the book that Starbucks named a coffee after, right? You know. Well, and <laughs> the CMO of Starbucks wrote me this long email saying, "Here are the two locations in New York City where we serve Gravitas Blend. Please make sure you go try it, and it's delicious. <laughs> it's bold. It's courageous it's your way to start the morning how, yeah, is that how they describe that would be the Fantastic. interesting thing how do they describe you know it? i'm going to have to go look it up because they did send me the link and i will send it to you after we this, can put it in the show notes it's because really funny that they literally said we have a coffee named after your book here it is gravitas blend vintage molasses aromas complement notes of pomegranate ripe permission and baking chocolate with a full creamy mouthful feel Ooh. There you have it, the Gravitas blend. <laughs> That's 
awesome. All right. I don't know how we, we have four speed round questions and I don't know how we can top that one already. We, we, I think we just nailed it right there. Uh, but I will, I will try to keep going. And so this will be that uh, letdown after there, but weekend in the city or weekend in the country, which would you prefer? Weekend in the city. Weekend in the City. And I write about that in my book. Every Saturday, I do a hip hop dance class and I turn my phone off for a number of hours and I go and check out a museum and just come up with my best ideas. I think we need to all pause on the weekends and give our brains space to breathe and create. I love that you go to a museum. Well, in New York, that definitely has you could, I'm very lucky. You can you can, yeah, you can yeah. hit a different museum yeah. probably for years every every weekend. You know, as you think about that. But I do. I live about three or four blocks away from um, one of the bigger museums in uh, Minneapolis, and it's free. And I just love Minneapolis the, has a great art scene. We love, yeah. I love really, going I, and, down there and uh, just walking. And again, it's one of those where. I can go into that museum and there's a few things like I always go and see the Monet and I always go and see some of the other things, but man, it's like every time you go in, it's like, I never noticed that before. I didn't see that. And then you just, it, it helps you get that creative juices going and you can, it's fantastic. So, wow. All right, cool. So well, I've, I've been on a 20 city book tour and I always build in one or two hours to check out the local art museum or an art exhibit or an immersive thing in every city. And it's been really fun because you get to collect a gallery of art in your mind and you get to think. I also think if you have a local museum or a place where you can go think, you do see things every single time. Yeah. And uh, I will make you an offer, Kurt, that when your daughter comes to New York City, I will take her on my feminist walking tour of the Met Museum Ooh. because there's all these pieces of art where if you read the placards closely, you'll say, oh, this was actually a female artist who dressed like a man to complete this painting because women weren't allowed at the racetrack. And so there's all these little hidden nuggets in the Met Museum that you look at centuries of art and you realize the role that women played in the art scene, but we only talk about the great male painters. Yeah, and which is, it, she would love that first off. And thank you. I will take you up on that. So, well, I, yeah. And, you know, like Jackson Pollock, no one really thinks about Lee Krasner. His wife was actually the more talented artist right. and the one that actually <laughs> yeah. wrote the government grants so that they would have money to live on. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And that, and that should not be a trivial thing. Like that is something that is ridiculously buried in the, in, in the, the books of art. Um, okay. Th uh, we're in the third speed round question already. <laughs> and I want to know, is self-confidence a choice? Self-confidence is a choice and a mindset before it becomes a behavior. And I know we're going to talk a lot you about that today. So I'm going to pause and just say <laughs> it is a choice and a mindset before it becomes a behavior. Okay. And this next one, you, we might want to pause on too, because I think it's one of those. But does life get easier or do we get stronger? That is one of my well-known taglines. Things don't get easier. <laughs> we get stronger. And I really believe that a strengths-based mindset will always trump a deficit-based mindset. And it's the way we move through life. We get stronger. It's like a muscle. Uh, how? how? How do we do that? Uh, how, how do we build up that muscle? Well, you know, and this is what my book is really about. I think the first thing is 
when we think about the word gravitas, we think of confidence, it's presence, it's a state of being. And I think it's been over the years described as a behavior, outspoken, assertiveness, you know, having presence to fill the room. But if you look up the word confident in the dictionary, it has nothing to do with bravado or swagger. It's an understanding, appreciation of, and trust in your own abilities. And so one of the big shifts we're talking about is gravitas is a mindset. It's an approach to living life with self-assurance. It's not a state of being. It's actually an ongoing battle. Every one of us wakes up in the morning with some form of self-doubt. And so we have to learn approaches to cope with that self-doubt and then to find the courage to take on the day with gravitas. And so when I say things don't get easier, nothing in life gets easier, right? Even when you grow a company, I'm an entrepreneur, everyone's, oh, you're doing so well. I'm like, that just means there's more commas and zeros (laughs) on how much we owe people. Um, You know, it's that we have learned we have learned along the way, we can get stronger along the way and do more things. It doesn't mean that the problems got smaller. In fact, they probably got bigger. I love the idea of that because we often attribute that, all right, well, it feels easier um, because we have built up those skills. We have built up that that knowledge base where we can go and go. I've, I've run into this before. We do a lot of talks of stress and various different pieces. And that all of the research shows that um, the most uh, people who are feeling the most stress and the most anxiety in the world right now are um, your 18 through 29, and then 29 through 39 is not that far behind them. But as you start getting older, the the stress level, the anxieties level that you have uh, significantly goes down as a percentage of the population and, and various different pieces. And and part of the people go, oh, well, as you get older, you, you, you know, just that, and it's no, it's because you have that experience behind you. Life isn't easier because you're older. I mean, it, you're cranky. You got bad knees. You got, you know, all this other <laughs> stuff that you got to deal with. But you know what? You've dealt with things before and you go, I can deal with things again. And I know I'll get through it and I'll be fine. And, and our data set, we did quantitative and qualitative studies as part of the book. What we found is people over the age of 55 were the most powerful in our data set. They had time, talent, and treasure and capability. And one of the things I get very upset about is how ageist we've become as a culture. And if you look at how much capability there is over the age of 55, it's because you are at your strongest. And one, I'm 56, by the way. I'm just raising my hands. I'm like, I made the cut off. I did it. But what I think has happened, at least for younger generations, is I think young younger generations have been sold a lie. Mm-hmm. And in the introduction to my book, I talk about the myth of confidence culture. It's the imperative of our time to be confident. And yet it's been Instagrammed and corporate sloganized, right? It's been reduced to hustle and sparkle like a boss today. And what we don't really do, at least for younger generations, is help them understand the immense amount of work self-belief requires. Because fake it to make it, essentially we've been told to lean in and girl boss and all of these things, but that means these younger generations are walking into their personal or professional lives pretending to be confident rather than inviting mentorship, inviting people to be on their journey and taking a self-affirming inventory of who they are. And that, that I think is the twist we're talking about in the book is how do we help people at every stage of life 
take a moment of self-doubt and turn it into a burst of self-confidence, well, that is really hard work. There is no Instagram post that is going to get you through that day. No TikToker can tell you to go out and do it today, right? And that is what older generations have realized. You're like, wow, I have been beaten around, knocked down, and I think I'm. this is the best part of my life. I'm the most powerful I've ever been. How do we give that to everybody at those transition points? I think that it's it's a wonderful thing that you are willing to dive into the nuance of that, right? Because it's not just a meme or a, a one-liner. You wrote a book about it because there's a lot there's a lot to say. Was there anything in particular? I, I you know I don't I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you know sort of in the superpowers you know quiz you know kind of lead into some very specific topics uh, to to kind of identify specific superpowers. But are there any particular issues that our society has not done a good job of grappling with that you feel like this is the one, if I were to fix the one, if I had a magic wand, this is the one that I would fix? Well, I don't have a silver bullet, unfortunately, and that's why it's an entire 256-page book. If I could fix one thing, you know, that would make it a lot easier. What I will say, and I think you write the book you most need to read yourself. Mm. And one of I think the biggest insight, maybe what we'll do is I'll tell you the one thing that I want to change everyone's mind on. I want to reset your mind today. And you'll never see it the same way again, is we are born fully self-confident. If you've ever been around a five-year-old, ask a five-year-old what they're the best at in the world. And they'll tell you soccer, hugs, everything. (laughs) And as a child, you don't compare and despair. You don't benchmark. You haven't experienced setback and disappointment. You don't doubt yourself. And what's really important, and I think this is the chapter that has most resonated with people, is in chapter two of my book, we identify six forces that hold you back. And they come during adolescence. Kurt, you're going through it now with your daughter. And these six forces, they're not our fault, by the way. Everyone goes through them, okay? Everything from deficit mindset, where you see your weaknesses over your strengths, satisfaction conundrum, where you tie your happiness and self-worth to an external marker. This is why kids are posting on Instagram. They're not posting to connect or inspire. They're posting because they need the dopamine hit of validation. I want everyone to like, comment, and share today on something in my life because I don't like myself very much. I need your approval, right? There are all these forces and it forms the basis of an inner critic. And in order to be truly confident without faking it, you have to step out of those six forces. And it's a daily practice. It is not something that you can just switch on and switch off, but you have to identify which of these six forces drives your insecurity. And then you take the big leap to saying, here's why I'm valuable. And I know we're going to talk about the superpowers, but it's really hard as adults to answer the question a five-year-old can. Okay, what are you the best in the world? Like, you're just stumped. I ask audiences across the country this question, and they can tell you which of the six forces affects them. That's so easy to do. But when I put them on the spot and say, okay, now tell me what you're the best at. It's like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that in so long. And so I really think when I talk about self-confidence as a mindset and a choice, I describe an iceberg. 10% of the iceberg is visible above the waterline. It's the behavior. It's stand up, be outspoken, you know, all of those things. 90% is below the water. It's thoughts, values, and feelings you have about yourself. So until you can see it in yourself, until you can pay yourself the compliment, you can't receive the compliment. You can't get credit for it. You can't actually, others can't see it until you do. And I think that's a really big shift 
because we as a society, every book about confidence is written about the behavior. But our book, if you go through it, two thirds of it is about the mindset, cultivating the mindset. Only a third is about the behavior and the interactions with others and situations in life. And that was very intentional. So when you think about the mindset, when you're trying to build that or change that mindset from all of those six factors that you just started to talk about, and you talked about this earlier, that this is hard, that this is not, this is not something that you go, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going, today I'm going to be confident and I'm going to just be able to do this. Uh, where, what is the thing that we need to take away? What, what is the, the piece that we need to be able to, if you were to talk to my daughter and you had, you know, mm -hmm. two minutes with her? What would be the, the, the piece that you would talk to her about in those two minutes that she really needs to know? I would say you have to be able to take a self-affirming inventory of your strengths and talents. Mm -hmm. And then you have to connect those strengths and talents to specific markers of success and memories you've already had. The movie Inside Out is real. Yeah. You know, mo your brain can't remember most things. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. It can only remember the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, those little core memories, those orbs. And so first, you've got to be able to discover and articulate your talents and strengths. And then you have to connect it to memories in the past. You know, so much of the time we're looking at the summit that we don't turn around to look at how much ground we've covered. So your belief in yourself is not just you know, you can take my quiz, myconfidencelanguage.com to discover your superpowers. You can take the quiz, but then you get those results. So many people say, oh my gosh, I have five superpowers. And I said, yes, you've been underestimating mm -hmm. yourself. I thought I'd have one or two. I have five. And I said, well, maybe you can trust in them. Tell me a time in the last year that you've done something truly wonderful in your life and then connect it to your superpowers. I, I really think that's important. If you ask her what her favorite memory was of this year, and then you say, okay, let's deconstruct that memory. What did you do that made that such a great day or a great moment? And then you'll see someone's entire energy level change when they start telling you the story. And you go, okay, so why wouldn't we believe we could do that again? What What's different? You're the same person. That person is still inside you. So, and, and I love love what you're talking about. And I think one of the things that resonates with me and that you've talked about here and you wrote about in the book is this ability to, it's not just identifying, it's not just taking that, that your, your survey. It is then looking at that and identifying times that you've used that in the past. Help us understand why that's so important, because I think that's the piece that, that people miss. They, they, they can take a survey and they, they, and even as you said, they, they might only know they have one or think they only have one or two of these superpowers, but they have more than that. But even on those one or two, they don't necessarily look back at that. Why, why is that so important? Well, I think it because it creates a data set in your mind that this is genuinely who I am. So a lot of people, it's like a horoscope. You read it, go, yeah, that sounds like me. Okay. <laughs> she got it pretty right. Like, that's okay. They did the homework. That sounds like me. It's like when you do Myers Briggs or Clifton Shranks or any of those different diagnostic tools. For me, what is really important, and I do this with audiences around the country, is I say, okay, you can think that I did a pretty good job in creating this quiz, but what proves to you that this quiz will make a difference in your life? And people will tell me stories of conquering illness 
or getting their kid into the college of their choice or a win at work. And I'll say, okay, now let's look at your superpowers. Tie specifically each of your superpowers to what drove that outcome. And after that exercise, they go, my mind is blown. That means I need to trust in myself more. And the next time I have an upset or a disappointment or something big that I didn't think was possible, I now feel better that I have what I need in me to get that done. And if you don't do that exercise, it's superficial. It's just, okay, I'm high on achieving. I get things done. I have a winner's mindset. Practice makes perfect. Well, the next time you experience a setback, do you say, hey, I've done this before. What's changed? Nothing. I know I will get that done again. And I think that becomes my whole idea of approach to living with self-assurance. It's not a single state. It's not a way of being. It is literally an approach for you to cope with that. Can I give you my favorite exercise from the book? Uh, please do. Please do. Okay. And I know we want, I want to get into the eight superpowers because I'm sure your audience is like, we what will. are the eight? No, we we're will. keeping them on their pins and needles. And then, and then we have to only give some of them so they have to buy your book. There you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I've learned to breadcrumb. I've been media trained. In chapter two, everyone's like, what are the six forces? She only gave me two of them. I need to know the other four. But one of the things that, people say is one of their favorite exercises from the book is I call it the inner critic challenge. And uh, and the compliment to that is the inner child challenge. So I'll give you my two favorites together. The inner critic challenge is those six forces are real. And the tough news I have to deliver is your inner critic never goes away. And old thinking was to wave it away. I wouldn't have given you that project if I didn't believe in you. Just believe in yourself. You wave away the inner critic. And now the thinking is give your inner critic a chance to have a voice. In fact, name it. It's like if you call it Voldemort, you're not afraid of Voldemort, right? My inner critic's name is Fred. He was my bully in high school. If Fred is listening, you are my you are my inner critic's name. And learn to have conversations with your inner critic, right? So let your fears out. And then if you know your superpowers, if you know the things that make you uniquely, it becomes a megaphone to answer it. So here's an example. If you ever watched the TV show, This Is Us, Beth and Randall Pearson have a thing called worst case scenario. And they'll say, our daughter, quote unquote, has something to tell us. She's coming home from college. This is just an example. And they'll say, inner critic, go. They'll say, okay, she's pregnant. We're going to have to raise the baby. She dropped out of school. She's going to move in, you know, all these things. And then you see their minds turn and they go, we've got a big house. She could move back in. We fostered kids before. We could raise this grandkid. And they realize how strong they are, but they couldn't get there until they let the inner critic have a moment. And then what you realize is the best case scenario is the most likely because you're now in control. You feel capable. And that's my point. Things don't get easier. We get stronger, but you've got to learn to have that conversation with the inner critic. I think the compliment to that is what I call the inner child challenge. When you feel fear, and you can't do all my superpower exercises and all of that, I just say, ask your nine-year-old self what they would say. Because I don't love those Facebook posts of go back in time and tell your younger self something. If your nine-year-old self was like me, I was going to be president of the United States, first female chief justice of the Supreme Court, and I still could be one of those. Still time. Vote for Lisa. Vote for Lisa. And I will say, okay, my nine-year-old self, She's still there. And, you know, you all can see it. We, everyone on my team keeps a photo of themselves as a child or as at a time when they felt really powerful, just as that quick reminder, right? Dumbo did not need the feather to fly, but it reminded him that he could. 
your inner child, or if you had a traumatic childhood, there's a moment in your life where you felt really strong. That's like the quickest fix to say, you know what, that person's still in me and I feel strong enough to move forward. But that, that that's kind of how we think about getting stronger along the way. That is beautifully said. And you mentioned something a little bit earlier about uh, the confidencelanguage.com site. Can you just explain for our listeners, what is confidence language? Yes. So uh, I have to go back in time, though, to give you the full story. Oh. And, uh, in 2013, Janet Yellen was nominated to be the first woman head of the Federal Reserve. And there were hundreds of articles about how she didn't have the gravitas to lead the Fed. And Ezra Klein at the Washington Post wrote a beautiful op-ed that basically asserted that the pervasive view of gravitas did not stretch to include her. She was collaborative, soft-spoken, empathetic. Why isn't that gravitas too? And in the words of Katie Couric, when she was told she didn't have the gravitas to lead the evening news, she was told that it was because she didn't have testicles. And I got very upset, you know, and that was the year I founded my company, and one of the things I said is we have to redefine this word and we have to give space and permission for everyone to have it. So we launched a thousand person quantitative study. I brought my old boss. I was at McKinsey and Company for 11 years. I brought my old boss out of retirement. She ran Consumer Insights. And we launched a thousand person quantitative study along with 32 focus groups. I always joke focus groups during a pandemic are fun because <laughs> people will tell you things in online chats and Zooms because they're stuck at home that they would not tell you behind a two-way mirror. Never thought about and that. Wow. No, I mean, you can get hours of time from people during a pandemic oh, to join right. a focus group, right? They're like, I'm stuck at home. You need two hours? Great. Let me tell you everything I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling right now about the topic of confidence. Love it. Love it. And we discovered that confidence isn't just one form. There are eight of them. There are eight types of confidence we've identified quantitatively. And you take the quiz at myconfidencelanguage.com and you discover which of these you have. My mom took the quiz. She has all eight. She's like, I'm all eight of these. And that's true. 2% of people have all eight. But it's not a static idea. You might have two. You might have three. You might have one. You might have all eight. But it is an inventory as you go through your journey of what superpowers you have. You can add to them. As people age, they go from having two superpowers to four or more. But we wanted to create almost like love languages, a way for people to be able to articulate what they're the best at in the world. And I always say it takes a quiz to trick you into believing in yourself. And it really does change the way you articulate what you're about and how you feel your best and strongest and what fuels your self-belief. I, I have six of them, according to this. <laughs> Yay! Go you, Kurt! I, I have to work on giving and self-sustaining. Those are my two okay, that I need okay. to work on. Here we go. Well, can we? let's take that separately. Everyone always talks about the ones they don't have. And I always say... Focus on the six. Yeah. And in chapter six of the book, six and seven, we get into, if you don't have one, why might you want one? Yeah. Because I don't think you need it unless you face a situation. So chapter six, we took 30 situations in life and we correlated which superpower you need for each. So it's almost like a reference guide. You're like, okay, you know, I want to start my own business. Lisa says I need four superpowers. Wow, I have three of them. Yeah. Great, I'm going to do it. I can believe in that. Because uh, it's quantitative, it's real. And, oh, wait, I have to give a speech or a toast? Oh, I need performing. Okay, I don't have that. I'm going to work out. You don't, you don't need all these superpowers, but you need to know when you might want to call on one 
or when you're dealing with someone who has a different confidence language than you. And that's that's like my brother and I have opposite confidence languages. The four I have are the four he doesn't and vice versa. And this explains why when we go to dinner, his number one is self-sustaining. So maybe Kurt, you could take lessons from me. He's like, I don't, I don't need to impress you. I like myself. You know, I'm not extroverted. My number one is performing and creating. Yeah. So at dinner, I will say, Hey, are you having fun? Are you having fun? And he would say, You would know if I was having fun <laughs> or not. I would have left by now if I was upset. And then he said, Okay, you made me take the quiz. I know you're performing. Every 30 minutes, I will tell you I'm having fun just to satisfy what makes you happy. First of all, and maybe I just, that's a segue into introducing the eight. Yeah, I don't think we should talk about the eight. Well, yes, I, 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 love, I do want to do that, but but I love the fact that that it's you you bring up this uh, example with your brother because in and in my background is psychology. I have a PhD in that, and 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 so we do a lot of assessments and various different things. And and my big thing in working with people and in, in assessments, particularly within businesses that I do is that it's great to know yourself, but it's even better to understand how yourself works with other pieces. And it's exactly what you just said when your brother goes, <laughs> I need to tell you that I'm having fun every 30 minutes. And, he really, you know, <laughs> and realizing know. that is is a superpower in and of itself, right? And so I think that is great. So Well, and it's a compliment to you that you liked the book, Kurt, because what I will say to you is I always say myconfidencelanguage.com, it's not a personality test. It's an inventory right. of your strengths. Right. And so it will change. It will evolve over time. I take the quiz every six months because, by the way, I'm also working on self-sustaining, mostly because I need to be able to deal with criticism better. And there's a lot of reasons why I want it, but now I know why I want it, not just I need all eight. And that's my point around this. You know, I love that you have six and those six are enough. Like they're awesome. You are so powerful. You actually can handle most of the 30 situations in life that we tested for. So I'm glad you liked yeah, it. Thank and, you. and I was at an event in, in Silicon Valley and there was a neuroscientist in the room and I talk a lot about brain science. I do not have a PhD in brain science. And she came up to me afterwards. She, you got all the information right. I said, thank goodness. I wrote a whole book. <laughs> reference it. And I said, thank goodness. Can you please tell my editor that I got all the neuroscience right? Uh, okay. I, before, okay. We, we're going to get to the, the superpowers. I just have to say, I love the fact that you just did an imitation of your brother on this podcast. <laughs> he'll never listen Drop the oh, well, mic. maybe he will he listens he listens to a lot of things that i do but he also says it's really hard being your younger brother oh it's really yeah hard. that's how that works I, you know i will tell you why and i know we're going to get into the eight superpowers but the i did an event in ohio and it was 800 people. My brother came with me mostly because he wanted to go to Cedar Point and ride the roller coasters afterwards. The event was in Sandusky, Ohio. Yeah. He and I are American coaster enthusiasts. So he came with me <laughs> and there was a standing ovation, right? And, and I don't get a lot of standing ovations. I get them every once in a while. And afterwards, a gentleman came up to me and said, hey, you know, what's your email? I have some feedback for you. I think you can work on your stage presence. I have some feed and and I'm really good on stage. That's one of the things I am best at. And because I don't have self-sustaining, I took it really personally. You know, I said, wow, does this mean I didn't do well? And my brother's sitting there and I said, oh my gosh, he just, you know, basically took away all this joy that I had of this incredible hour on stage. And I looked at him and I said, do you, do you think I did well? And he goes, why do you care what he thinks? Uh -huh. Do you know him? Do you know him? 
do you know what he's about? And I said, but did I do well? He's like, do do you care what I think? Did you, did you enjoy yourself? Did you like it? And I said, I crushed this event. I know I changed lives today. He goes, then why do you care what anyone thinks? It only matters what you think about it. You don't need to know what I think. I'm not going to tell you, in fact. And I said in that moment, wow, I need to develop one of those eight superpowers where I can know my own value and not feel like I need to impress you and all of those things. But I was, you know, it was funny. We were both raised by the same tiger mom. I think the learnings took a little too much to me and he kind of rejected many of them. <laughs> you know, I, I'm the right. oldest. Right. So I, I, I love using this language for us to understand others because when people tell you to be more confident, it's anxiety inducing, it's ambiguous. Now I say, which of these eight superpowers do you want me to be? Yeah. You know, let's double click on that phrase. Confidence is through the lens of the beholder's confidence language. So when someone tells you to be more confident, they have a very specific image in their mind of what that is, whether it's their confidence language or one that they're aspiring to or asking you to emulate. And I really think we need to create more dimension to that word so people understand what they're being asked to do. There's an interesting piece in in some recent research in psychology, which you probably already looked at and, and built into this, but the idea of the concrete language around your fears and different pieces and being able to name that to overcome that. And I I love the idea that you're talking about here that when we talk, when we talk in those broader elements where it's confidence, but it isn't the specifics around that, we have misinterpretations between people. It doesn't mean as much to us. It doesn't have the same impact. So with that, Let's start talking. And, and, but, but, wait, wait, I do, Kurt, I do have to build on that because that is, ex- I, I love that we're reading. It's like, why you never ask a kid if they're sad, yeah. right? You know, tell me what happened. One of the things that has worked really well is in chapter two, when we get into those six forces that hold you back, it is the double click on insecurity. Yeah. And I always say you can't solve something until you've diagnosed it. I'll tell you a quick story. Our head designer, he hurt his shoulder. He had to have shoulder surgery. And he was supposed to be the captain of a really famous volleyball league in New York City. And he came in one day and he said, I'm really depressed. I said, okay, which of these six forces? And he goes, I'm not doing your exercise, Lisa. I said, no, 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 please do my exercise. Let's see if it works. And he pointed to satisfaction conundrum, which is where you tie your happiness to an external marker of success. And he said, well, I just opened up Instagram and... The team I was supposed to captain won the gold medal and posted a photo, and I'm not in the photo. And I said, okay, well, now we know what we're solving. And I said, can we just take a moment and talk about the abundance in your life? You did New York Fashion Week. You are running an incredible team, developing products. He made a jumpsuit that you don't have to get undressed into pee. Women on your on your listeners will be like, "What? Where is that jumpsuit? I need that." And and, and he we start laughing about all the things we've done. He made a quarter million face masks during a pandemic when yeah. no uh. one had face masks. And he said, "Okay, wow, I feel better." And I said, "What are you going to do now?" And he said. I'm going to go comment on that post, like it, reshare it on my story, congratulate them on text message. Because when we feel the abundance in our life, when we don't feel less than, we can hype others and we can share in their joy. And I really think that the tools that we've put into chapter two is around what am I really feeling? And then I know we're going to talk about the eight superpowers. And how strong am I? What abundance do I have in my being that allows me to continue moving forward and get what I want in life? And actually, I think we should 
only talk about four of the superpowers. Uh, no, 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 no. We have to do all oh, of Come to do on. All we got to leave some, we we have some mystery no, 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 here. No, no, no. We have to leave. We have to do all eight because I think there's a there's a broader insight around the the eight and why there are eight. Perfect. Um, but well, let's, so, let's, but let's, I won't tell you start, the six forces. Let's start, <laughs> let's start with this. Let's, so let's let's name them okay. and then let's let's talk about yeah. the, the importance of each and why why they're important. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the eight. So I'll do um, leading, which is I set direction, I'm in charge, I'm in command, I inspire followership. Performing, that's what I'm doing for you now, is extroversion, charisma, the energy exchange between two people. These two qualities are the most written about in relationship to confidence, they represent less than 20% of America. Mm. And that is why we felt so confident about or confident about going forward is because we said, does that mean 80% of people don't feel good about themselves? If we all led and performed, nothing would get done. <laughs> the next two are achieving. I get things done. I have a winner's mindset. If things don't work out, I keep going. You know, I don't accept failure. Practice makes perfect. A lot of athletes have this, this achieving mindset. Knowing, which is you're the smartest, most well-researched, thoughtful, process-oriented person in the room, you want to build IKEA furniture with someone who has knowing as their superpower. Very importantly, achieving and knowing, the best example I give people is the three women from the movie Hidden Figures. How do three Black women get to have the gravitas to stand in the room at NASA? They were the smartest people to do the calculations required to get a man into space. And that's why I know those superpowers carry value. The next two are giving and believing. I support others. I'm empathetic. Believing. I'm optimistic. I see the best in others and situations. If things don't work out, they weren't meant to be. Are you Ted Lasso fans? Yes, are you Ted Lasso? definitely. Okay. So in season one, he was underestimated because he wasn't a command and control coach. He wasn't leading, right? That was the prototype of leadership. He says, I don't care if we win or lose. I'm here to make these folks the best possible versions of themselves. He was believing as his route to self-belief. And he says in season one, I've been underestimated my entire mm -hmm. life because he didn't fit the mold of what a coach should look like. And by season three, we realize that believing is the strongest route to success. The next two are creating. That is my top one. A lot of immigrants have that because you believe in things before you can see them. You will things into existence. You create something from nothing. It's not just you have an idea, but you're going to make it happen, right? And then self-sustaining, which I know you read the book. So very few people have this quality. It is, I don't need to impress you. I like myself. I deserve the seat at the table. It's the quality most needed to overcome criticism without spiraling to be able to see feedback as a gift and not a stick of dynamite, uh, as well as to ask for a raise, not for a promotion. Promotion is achieving. Here's why I deserve a title change. Here's why I deserve more responsibility. Asking for a raise is this is my market value and I'm willing to walk away if I don't get it. Other people will get it. Give me that. But together, these eight qualities, it becomes a much more complete version of how we describe what people's mindsets are, how to move through life. And as my mom said when she read the data set, she said, oh, Lisa, when tsunami happened, men make speech, women clean up the beach. Thank you. I finally get credit for clean up the beach. You know, because she was talking about like, achieving, knowing, giving, all yeah. these other qualities. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room to be the most confident. Your qualities carry value even if society's underestimated them. This is why we have more female presidents in Scandinavia, in Asia, because those are 
cultures that value hardworking and self-effacing over bravado and swagger. And so it's a totally different way people can think about the idea of confidence. I want to get into some of these more, but one thing that you just said there I think was really interesting and it spurred this this question is this idea of that bravado, that kind of out there piece. Are, are we as a society, uh, have you seen given social media, given kind of the the way that much of the people who get uh, recognized are these loud controversial sometimes, but just with, you know, like not having any self kind of doubt in there the way they are. Are we sending the wrong message is basically what I'm trying to say, because I agree with you. I think there there's a lot of this element of the, that it's the behind the work. It's the silent people that get stuff done, that they're, they're the ones that are doing it. But I think we're sending a, my own personal belief, I think we're sending the wrong message out. So. For sure. I'll give you two examples of that. The first is data-oriented, and the second one is a personal story. So on the data side, Kelly Hsu, a professor at the Yale School of Management, she evaluated 30,000 employee records, and she released her study last summer. And she said, men were consistently rated the highest on promotion potential and the lowest on performance and results. (laughs) Women... Wow. That why doesn't women, that surprise me? Wow. I, I does not. Women yeah. uh, <laughs> women were rated the highest on performance and results and achievement but the lowest on promote, promotability. And when she double clicked on promotability it was extroversion and charisma. And she said they're completely subjective ideas framed by a certain prototype of male leadership and it explains that the 40% of the pay gap that we see between men and women correlated to promotion it has to be solved through the changing of the definition of scorecards. So the way in which we scorecard success, this is why introverts were so happy during the pandemic because they didn't have to do the water cooler talk. Right. They could just submit their work, you know, and be evaluated on their results because there was no water cooler for them to have to like come up with something to say to their boss or come up with something to say to a colleague. And so that's just a data-driven way of understanding how we, what we value and what we celebrate. And so many people at these events I do will say, oh, my superpower is so boring. Like, what is it? I get things done on time. Oh my goodness. I don't, by the way, my confidence language, my four superpowers doesn't get anything done on time. I'm shocked that I showed up on time for you all today. You had your but, timer on. You actually- I know, I know, but that's because I've learned. I've learned what I don't. I don't do well. And I'll say, Can, "Do you want to come work with me?" Because I really celebrate introverts who get things done. Because I love to talk all day long and get nothing done. So that's just a data driven. The second one, though, is a parent read the book and she wrote me this long letter on LinkedIn, and she said, "You just taught me something about my two sons." And I think I've been taking away the power from my youngest son for years. She has an 11-year-old and she has a 15-year-old. And she said, my 15-year-old, if he took the quiz, he'd be leading, performing. You know, he is the center stage. If we go to a party, he's telling the jokes at 15 years old. And my youngest can read a book cover to cover. But when we go to parties, I will say, oh, my oldest, he'll have you in stitches. The youngest, he's very shy. If he doesn't talk to you, don't be upset. And she said, oh my gosh, I've described shy as a negative. No, and don't talk to my son, he's shy. 
versus I should have said, he just finished a great book on pandas. Ask him anything you want about pandas. Mm -hmm. He will recite facts to you all day long and he will love doing it. And she said, my youngest son, if he took the quiz is knowing, giving, you know, believing he's just an optimist. And I have taken away his power for 11 years because we go to social events and I belittle him for not being extroverted. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I didn't come up. With, it, it takes the people reading the book to tell Love you the that. things you didn't see in it. And she said, I've been not celebrating who he is. And that was when we got on this uh, session. I said, she said, I'm going to have everyone at Thanksgiving dinner, my whole family take the quiz. I want to know what we're grateful for, but I want to know our family superpowers. And they're all old enough now to take it. And she said, that'll be really fun to see how different we are you know, what makes each of us tick. And so I definitely think we as a society have celebrated just one form of it. But by the way, I love Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie changed my life. I read How to Win Friends and Influence Other People yeah. when I was 12 years old. You know, how does an Asian woman operate in Western society without Dale Carnegie? But it's it's a single way to behave, right? Smile, learn people's names, be interested in others. You know, that is just performing. Yeah that doesn't get to the heart of what makes other people tick. Well, and it doesn't get to your mindsets that you talked about, too, at the very beginning of this. You've really punctuated, uh, talking about um, Kelly's uh, work, it really punctuates that that first professional review where, you, where your, your boss said, Lisa comes across as young and overly enthusiastic. She should seek to have more gravitas. You know, it's like if she would just fit in more like the way men are, She'd be great, you know, but otherwise she's just kind of young and overly enthusiastic. Yeah. And, you know, she, uh, my boss at the time, she actually gave an interview for the press. And one of the really interesting things that we talked about in this interview is, you know, a lot of people think that in my 20s and 30s, I was quote unquote very confident. They, they actually called my BS out and said, I don't think you ever didn't have gravity, you know. And I said, I was faking it. Mm. I was really good at pretending. Mm -hmm. But did I like myself? No. Did I value myself? No. I was incredibly insecure and overachieving as I climbed that ladder and tied so much of my happiness to making partnership at McKinsey. And we got into a long conversation around, okay, look, the job does require you to be leading and performing. That That is being a consultant, right? And so in chapter six, I say, you if you're in this job and you want to keep it, you do have to do that. But you have to like everything else you bring to the table. And I didn't do that second part. And I think if I got into the DeLorean, back to the future style, and could give my 22-year-old self this book, I would realize that I could parse out that feedback and say, okay, she's asking me to be more leading and performing. That's what this job requires, not to have more gravitas or be more confident. I need to be more assertive, more outspoken. You know, there are certain things she needs me to do. But look at everything else I bring to the table. I'm a creator. I'm a giver, right? There's all these other things. And even if I don't fit the mold of what they want, then this place isn't for me. This place, you know, I, I'm not high on achieving or knowing. That That is what a consultant has to do. So I could have learned earlier on that I didn't fit, right? And it's not my fault. And it's just not the cultural fit that I want, that, that's going to make me happy and celebrate my strengths. Yeah. it's So it's it's amazing when you think about that, that piece that you said that you can, people thought I was this, but in my heart of hearts, in my in my own brain, I wasn't. I was I was faking it, and and that I think is a big piece. And it goes back, I think, to a lot of the things that we've already talked about. This idea of what society is asking for, and how we need to we think we need to show up, and all of those facets as we're moving forward. 
the interesting, you talked about this idea of Kelly Shue's work, and it reminded me of, we talked with Linda Babcock, Tim, do you, if you remember mm. about non-promotable yeah, work, book. that yeah. women tend to do a lot more non-promotable work. There's the idea of, they're setting up the co- the company, you know, picnic. They're doing the, I'll, for, I'll, I'll for, serve on that uh, board meeting that isn't anything. And you're Change doing the all coffee of the, the work, coffee maker. but, yeah. you know, you're not yeah. getting promoted because of it. Because, A, it's stuff that's important, but it isn't on that list of things that you need to get promoted about. And and there's a change. And, and I, I loved what Linda said, and I think it resonates with you, is that it's not about you changing who you are. It's about changing the way that we look. And you know what? Setting up the company picnic is an important thing. That should be part of your promotional, um, you know, Ballywick, yeah. right? Um, and I love Linda Babcock. So I love that you that you talked to her about this. And and one of the things McKinsey's Women in the Workplace reports noted is that the pandemic, women were the reason why many companies made it through. Collaboration, compassion, empathy, and those are not on traditional scorecards because women face, it's the Barbie monologue, and it's in my book around, we have to be a triple standard. We have to be confident, competent, and warm and take anyone away and you're labeled. And one of the hard things for us is a majority of women in our data set score very highly on achieving, knowing, giving, and believing. We're the doers who give out the hugs. We're also the ones, by the way, those are the four qualities who most believe in systems and fairness and rules. So we think we're going to get credit for it. And there's this myth of meritocracy. I cannot wait for your daughter to be old enough to read my book because in college, in school, there's grades, right? The boys and girls can be equal because there's grades. It's a level playing field. But once you step out into the workplace, you realize how much subjectivity there is, bias. There's a myth to that meritocracy. And I think when you uncover that, you go, oh, wow, I thought I'd get credit for that company picnic. But wait, it's not on the scorecard. You know, and what is measured is what is valued. So, you know, I I always say there's two things we have to do. We have to expand the definition of success, which is going to take 50 years. But thank goodness, men are reading my book too. I think if you look at the Amazon reviews, men are like, wow, the scorecard's incomplete. Thank you, Lisa. But secondly, women, you know, we've been bringing a tennis racket to a baseball game. So let's (laughs) learn how to swing a bat. Let's learn how to advocate. Let's learn, you know, that self-advocacy has to come from a place of, hey, achieving and knowing and giving. Those are valuable things. In fact, if I weren't here, you know, they wouldn't get done and you would miss out on them. It's just because we've been taken for granted. Just so you know, and Kurt, I love that you don't have self-sustaining. The Trojan horse of the book is really, we're just teaching everyone to become more self-sustaining, right? That's actually the thing that we don't say explicitly, but the book is an entire exercise in valuing yourself. And so if you read in the afterword, I mentioned it's like an Easter egg. I want basically in 20 years to replicate the study and see more people scoring higher on self-sustaining. That's uh, ultimately where we're trying to get to. I love it. And I've just given your listeners, look at that. I've just given you the the the, the twist. It's the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> twist, right? Of like, I see dead people. Oh my gosh, this whole book is about self-sustaining. <laughs> I just like mic drop moment on that though. That was that was very cool. So let's imagine that you had the opportunity to uh, flash back to a particular record that was being recorded, a song, and you could be in the studio while that song was being recorded. 
what what song would you want to be in the studio to experience? It's so hard. And I knew you all were going to ask me the music question. Before I answer it, can I just tell you, I am the product of multiple generations of listening of music. Just to be clear with you, my dad loved John Legend's Imagine. He played it on repeat. He was also a Rodgers and Hammerstein fan. So the King and I soundtrack. I mean, I've got like Broadway musicals plus the Beatles and John Lennon that I grew up with. I grew up in California, so Tupac Shakur and um, California <laughs> yeah. Love, but also yeah. Boys to Men and Mariah Carey, right? So I'm yes. truly the child of watching MTV, Whitney Houston, like 80s and 90s MTV, basically. And then now, like all this incredible, all these incredible female artists. So it's like hard to like give you one, but I think I would take my dad into the studio with John Lennon when he was when he was recording Imagine. I think my dad would openly weep oh. <laughs> and basically it would change his life. So I, I love that. I love the, 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 the thing about that song is there's darkness and optimism at the same time. And I think that's the most beautiful thing is when you really can hold space for both ideas. And, and so probably I would take my dad into the recording studio for John Legend's Imagine. Um, count, you know, if there's space for one more, count me in on that one. Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. I think Yoko and I would just have really good time talking about her future plans for world peace and all of that. Well, and talk about a woman with gravitas. Holy absolutely. smokes. Yoko Ono. Uh, Lisa, it is an absolute pleasure to, to speak with you today. And thanks for being a guest on Behavior Groups. This was so fun. One of my favorites. Thank you so much. Welcome to our grooming session where Tim and I share ideas on what we learned from our discussion with Lisa, have a free-flowing conversation, and groove on whatever else comes into, you thought I was going to say gravitas brain. I did. I did. I did. You absolutely nailed that. I was so ready for gravitas. Yeah, you thought I was going to say gravitas grain, but but I didn't say gravitas grain, but I did. But you did. See how I did that? That was I didn't and I did. I had some gravitas when I did that. Without go. saying gravitas, but but when but you I did, did say it. gravitas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay. It's okay. too early in the morning, man. It's too this early such, in the morning. Yeah. yeah. This was such a fun conversation. Lisa, she is super media ready, right? Oh um, my gosh. Which was, yeah. Which was um uh, quite a joy, uh, but she's articulate and uh, really made the book come alive for yeah. me in the in the conversation. Well, and I and I love that she talked about this book tour and that she checks out museums in every visit in every city that she visits. I mean, yes, that's cool. just cool. I should do that. I need to do that. And yeah. and that she kicked off her book tour in my town, Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, pretty pretty fun. Yeah, and. Tim, you will like this because you are the big guy that always talks about me search and different things. And when we yes. asked about, you know, writing the book and why, and she said, well, you quote, you write the book you need to read yourself. And yeah, I'm it's like a good going, reminder. Oh, I'm like, oh, and Tim's going to love that. So yeah, I'm yeah, exactly. I'm totally there. Okay. So uh, where, where would you like to start our informed grooving comments <laughs> <laughs> you mean we did those ones before this have been uninformed is that well let's just say there was more editorial <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i wanted to talk because she started about this idea about confidence and and that we're born 
being self-confident, this idea that, you know, as young kids, we're kind of exploratory and confident in different pieces. And there's, 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 I think, a, a lot to be said there. And it, it reminded me of Gordon McKenzie, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, author of Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Now, there's a book title that has some gravitas, right? Yeah, true. But he was the chief creative officer at Hallmark for many years. And, and he talked about this idea that he would go in and talk with schools a lot. And when he'd go into the kindergarten classrooms, and one of the things he was an artist, right? He'd ask, how many kids in here are artists? And almost every hand would be raised up when they're kindergartners. And then yeah. and he'd move on and he'd go over to the third grade room and he'd ask the same question. How many kids and how many of you are, are artists in here? And maybe half of the hands would go up. And then by the time he got to fifth or sixth graders and he asked that same question, I mean, there was maybe one or two of yeah. those hands that got raised. Yeah. And, and it's different than what I think uh, Lisa is saying, but there's an element that I thought was really parallel. This idea that school, society, family, community, all of these things that as a kid, we're kind of unaware of and we live in this world and we can be whoever we want to be and we can do, you know, have that confidence to be that person kind of gets pushed out of us or pushed down and is hidden and what i think lisa is saying is we need to we need to let that back out into the light we need to allow that self-confidence allow that ability to be who you are out and to not be hidden anymore and i like the way that she framed that around mindset that it is a mindset that we can adopt or or get rid of Right. And it's uh, it also reinforces the idea that the context and the environment that we live in matters a tremendous amount that because the social norm between third graders and sixth graders changes dramatically. And part of that social norm is I'm not an artist anymore. It's mm -hmm. not cool to be an artist. It's not a good it's not a good idea to be an artist that our mindset changes and says, well, I, I must not be an artist. And then, of course, the only kids that become artists are the ones who have sort of that mindset that they're so committed to that they keep going. And I'm not saying that we should all remain artists for the rest of our lives, but to be able to have that mindset, to be able to adopt that mindset is, is the important thing. It's not, it's not just, uh, oh, I wasn't born that way. It's like, I want to adopt the mindset of the artist. I want to adopt the mindset of curiosity. I want to adopt a mindset of self-reflection. I want to adopt a mindset of gravitas. Yes, I can do that. I can, I can actually just make that happen because it's my mind. And I can change the way that I think about it and therefore change the behaviors and subsequent actions that I take. And that this yep. is the other piece that I, I really love, this idea of gaining gravitas that she talked about. And she has a survey that I took that, again, it's, a, it's you know, I'm wouldn't put this down as a ocean five, you know, personality profile no. that's nope. done all the research behind it, but it was good. And it was a, a ability to kind of show where kind of where I was at a certain point, a style that I have. And this yeah. idea that it outlined these eight different areas that she talks about these eight different aspects of confidence or gravitas and which ones I felt like I was 
uh, achieving and which ones that I was lacking in. And I thought that was a really interesting piece. Be- and, and it was interesting because she also said, you know, don't always focus on what you don't have. Focus in on the six that you are powerful in, Kurt, and kind of live yeah. in that. And I yeah. think that's great, too. Yeah, I, I thought so, too. And uh, it, I would agree that the survey is not, <clears throat> excuse me, a, um, a master scientific, you know, overhaul of the personality review. But it is a, a style assessment in the same reign that Myers-Briggs and, and Enneagram are stylistic diagnostic tools. And, and it is a good way to, to kind of go, well, how, how do I approach these kinds of things? And what Lisa does really nicely is cast these uh, eight superpowers in the perspective of you can adopt mindsets to overcome or to build on or really leverage uh, any of these. And to learn, to, to learn how to be more authentic in them. And that I think is a really key piece of that. I just, yeah. I, yeah, Myers-Briggs, ugh, ugh. Oh, sorry, sorry. I gotta go. I can't. I can't I don't <laughs> don't get me going down that. No, we're not gonna go there. But the, so the other piece, uh, and this piece is that she talked about silencing that inner critic. This yeah. idea of yeah, making sure that we have that voice in the back of our head that is always being that critic and saying you can't, you can't, you can't. And I love the idea of having that mindset that says you can. And silencing mm-hmm. that inner critic and making sure that you aren't focusing in on the negative, that you are focusing in on the positive, which again, that superpower survey allows you to kind of identify for yourself. Where do you think you are? And, you know, pretty simple terms, but man, it can be really powerful if you do that. So, yeah. And it's, uh, it certainly fits in uh, tightly with this idea of how we label how we, the self-talk that we have and the way that we label the words that we use, uh, the way that we label how we feel about things. And that inner critic is, is the judgmental terminology, the judgmental self-talk that, that isn't, um, isn't productive. And I think that it's hard to disentangle the nature versus nurture stuff around this. Uh, I, I don't know if we've got strong evidence of that, but there certainly is a lot of research that naming those situations using, you know, concrete words and, uh, and labeling those emotions can be, well, it, it's just a fact. It's, it's just right there. It's part of our neuroscience. Right. And then the idea that the more concrete you can label your emotions, the, the better you are at being able to deal with them. Yeah. And particularly can, as we talk about, I mean, it's kind of counter intuitive that you label the negative emotions that it becomes you know more concretely but um at least the research that i've seen i think points to that that the you know i'm not just worried i'm i'm worried and anxious about this situation uh because of x and it's making me feel a little tingly and you know get, getting really descriptive in yeah. in that and that helps us in overcoming that and being able to then deal with it. And I, i.e. on that silence, that inner critic, that that emotion that kind of ruminates in your head and you can't get over it. Well, by, by labeling it better, I think you can. So Yeah, in the same way, and we've talked about this before, that uh, speaking in front of a group of people feels the same as being chased by a bear. Yeah. But, but they are radically different experiences, right? Risk and uncertainty are actually different uh, things in the real world, but we feel them differently. Yeah. And so by by calling out these emotions and actually being more specific can help us 
segregate the, wait a minute, I'm not being chased by a bear. I'm just going to stand up and talk in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that. And, and it's the same, like, again, uh, getting up talking or being chased by a bear or being excited about a sport event. And so again, how you frame it in your head, the mindset that you take is really important. All right, Tim, there was a line that she said that I just, <sighs> I want to talk about uh, that. I yeah. thought it was from her friend. But it was this idea that things don't get easier, we get stronger. Just yeah. love that idea. That was a moment for me. That was like a wow. Yeah, I had I had to just sit back and just say thank you for 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 sharing that because well, and, that was great stuff. And you think about it. There's an aspect of it. The world isn't getting any easier. We're dealing with more things. It might be getting harder. In fact, you know. Yeah. But we're able to get, we're, we're stronger and, and you, you get stronger all of the time. And I think it's just something we need to reiterate and think about. And this idea that, all right, today might be hard, but I'm getting stronger. And tomorrow uh, I'm going to have challenges. It's not, the world isn't getting easier, but I'm getting stronger and I'll be able to deal with it. And next week yeah. I'm stronger and next month I'm stronger. Next year I'm going to be Superman, you know, and I'll be able to conquer cool. the world. I can't I can't wait to meet you next year. The <laughs> Superman. Let's see how many listeners actually remember that sound. Um, <laughs> but this this whole idea of it's not just getting stronger for me. In my mind also went to getting wiser and more experienced that we're able to make better decisions because we have more time in the pool, you know, that it, it makes a difference. So I just want to, just want to say that there's another element of that. Well, you might be getting wiser. Me on the other hand, probably you're losing. just getting better looking. <laughs> that's a sad, that's a sad thought right there. Cause if this is better, man, what was I before? Oh my God. All right. Let's uh, get back to get back to the conversation with Lisa. One of the big pieces of this book. And I think she mentioned this right up is that this book is really, while it's, you know, I enjoyed reading it. You enjoyed reading it. This idea that it is really tailored for women and, the idea that women have to overcome other obstacles that you and I don't. Right. And as part of that, this idea of having gravitas, this this component within there, I think is really important for that. And I thought that was I thought that was really a key piece of what she was trying to convey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she brought, you know, we uh, she brings up Linda Babcock and, uh, you know, references Linda's work. We've been fans of Linda's work for a long time. But I have to say, I was a little disconnected that when Lisa said, you know, women have been bringing a tennis racket to a baseball game, so let's learn how to swing a bat. I kind of was thinking, well, let's maybe focus more on changing the game. Uh, so, right. It, let's, I don't think we necessarily have to have women be more like men. Right. Let's let's actually change the game so it's just more equitable for both. And you know, there is a fact that there is baseball being played with tennis oh, rackets oh, now. I know. I, geez, I can't believe it. You can go out on YouTube, folks. We'll put it in. We'll put it in the show notes as well. But go out to YouTube and just uh, put in the you know kind of search function tennis baseball. And it's an actual thing. There are people playing baseball with tennis rackets. So there what you go. I, what I want to know is at what time of night, 
how late in, in the middle of the night was it when you discovered this? You know, <laughs> scro doom scrolling through YouTube videos. Was it 2 a.m. or 3 a.m.? Yeah. Uh, going back to this focus in on women, and I agree with you, I think there's an aspect of it. Yeah, we can, you know, women can learn to bring a bat and, and swing the bat, but they shouldn't have to, right? This is the piece. This is the piece that I think is that Linda talks about is that there's a structural components in here. And just because as, as Lisa talks about in, you know, those eight superpowers that women tend to not be as as uh, big on performing, which is the one that we think about, right? It's that one yeah. that gets people noticed and you get the promotion because you're performing. It's not achieving. Achieving is the thing of actually getting shit done. It's yeah. not of knowing, which is understanding things, but it's that performing and leading and kind of some of those. And that is really the piece where we shouldn't all have to be able to perform. And, in, you know, this, again, isn't just about women. Lots of men, you know, this isn't a, a key superpower for them. So they're right. being left behind as well. And the fact of the matter is, is that we just have to be better at really um, seeing people for who they are, like, like what we talked about with Michelle Lamont in that, in that episode, this idea right. that right. we need to recognize people for who they are and your promotion, your worth for an organization isn't just, you know, hinged on a couple key pieces of performing or leading or different elements, but it's the, yeah. the breadth of what you bring and who you are at your core. I also wanted to add this whole idea of men and women being different in, in performance, uh, but not so different in achievement that George Lowenstein and I looked at uh, data from people who were selecting goals. Uh, this was, These are salespeople who selected goals for specific rewards. The higher goal that they selected and committed to, the, the higher the reward that they got. And women tended to select lower goals than men. However, they performed at basically the same level as men. So they were almost electing to get lesser rewards for the same amount of work. And, and this, this is because of mindset to a very large degree. So there's a lot of things to overcome. That is fascinating. And we could go and do a whole episode on that, but I think we probably should wrap this grooming session up. What do you think? Oh, okay. Agreed. I, th I think we could all learn to be a little bit more authentic by identifying and leveraging our superpowers to become more confident and more self-aware. Yeah, and we can do that, and I think that would be great. So, Groovers, we hope this week you, you do leverage uh, your superpowers and become more confident and have a bit more gravitas, and that helps you find your groove. <laughs>